a basket of knowledge to nurture and nourish the haora, the well-being of the community and voluntary sector. It is a collection of taonga treasures, including wānanga, podcasts and videos that will support you, your whānau and your community. So today we're chatting with Natalia Sexton. Um, we had a great kōrero with her. The thing that stuck out to me was about her uh, making her fences with her horses as her place to be off the digital spectrum, relaxing, connecting in the fresh air um, and just being very focused and away from all the stresses and strains that life brings. I think she clearly within her podcast, uh, clearly articulated, you know, that connection to Papa Tuanuku, that connection to the Taiao and how important that is. And she she actually made a number of references to being toe, which is, you know, to be calm and relaxed. So really rich corridor from Natalia today and that's exciting. So yeah, yeah. let's have a listen. I'm Natalia. I'm from the East Coast, <laughs> um, but fortunate to live in um, the beautiful part of the country they call Tupuha Waikato. Um, so my tāne and whānau are wakato tainui, Ngāti Tipa, Ngāti Kāreui, Ngāti Tahinga, and have been living um, in their wonderful, um, on their wonderful whenua for the past sort of 12 to 15 years. Nice. So yeah, that's me. Nice. And tamariki? I am two whāngai and one biological one. <laughs> um, she's, the youngest is uh, 17 just about to turn 18 and off to university. So I'm at that fantastic point in my life. I'm like, so what next? Yes. When the centre of our universe has been our, our tamariki for, for so long um, and ensuring that they have what they need to be amazing and they are all phenomenal in their own way. Um, but really proud of all, all of them. And uh, Taya, the youngest, is off to Otago East next year. So um, we're, we're sitting at home going, what are we going to do now? Yeah, but hōmai te pakipaki for uh, your darling going to uh, your kōtero. I'm assuming it's kōtero going to Otago. So, hi. Hi. So can you tell us a bit about um, your role and the organisation and uh, a bit about your mahi, because I think that will lead us into our kōtero around hawora, around well-being. Mm-hmm. Certainly. I'm fortunate uh, to work for We Working Together. Um, so WEAVE is a collaboration of eight philanthropic family foundations and basically we fund and support collaborations throughout Aotearoa um, and have been around since 2009. Uh, formerly we were the Working Together More Fund 
And I was fortunate to come on as general manager sort of about a year and four months now ago. A lot of my work has always been about taking care of our community, whether I'm wearing a funder's hat um, at grassroots with our people uh, working on, I don't want to say acute issues, but things that are front and foremost in our mind. I think the park here will cause it a muddy development, but I always think that our people have always been developed. <laughs> um, so uh, I like the term they're starting to use about re-indigenizing our spaces and places um, in terms of that sort of mahi. Um, my academic background, which people sort of, oh, it's a bit different that you ended up doing that. I um, studied a conjoint degree in law and psychology. First in my whānau to go to university. Um, and now everyone else has followed, so that was a big thing. My parents were really, really proud um, of me, and they worked really hard so we, we could, both my sister and I could go to university. So, yeah, a lot of it's been working over the last sort of 15 years um, in corporate trustee spaces, holder health, and um, Māori development, or Iwi and Hapu Mahi as well. Nice, nice. Mm. So what, uh, you know, that's a really um, broad kind of experience <laughs> and uh, we love that and that's very common in the community sector as well. So what uh, what are some of the kind of haora challenges that you've seen across those different environments that you've worked in? Mm. Well, it's quite interesting because, eh? of course, I was a geek last night re-listening to uh, former podcasts because that's what you do. Um, when you're the way I'm wired, I guess if we think about health um, and working in a DHB context, um, health looks at health as you know a, a good place as being absent of um, illness rather than a presence of wellness. I was fortunate recently to be in the presence of um, Rihanna Manuel, the new CEO of the Motor Health Authority. And so I sort of borrowed that quote and I'm like, yes, that's so true. And I, I guess there's a lot of restructuring going at the, mo at the, on at the moment in terms of health and holder. Um, I guess the challenges I've seen um, personally and professionally is people burning out, whether it's working within government or within community sector. Um, and people who are often there for the right reason, um, trying to change the world themselves. And um, often that's a really, really difficult thing to do. Um, so, yeah, a lot of burnout, fatigue, um, whether you're at grassroots or within government as well. Um, so quite interesting come to, coming to the philanthropic sector where I actually, um, what was the word? I, I deliberately wanted to be working less. So I'm 0.8 in my current role. And I had this view... Um, Naively, that perhaps um, I would be working slightly less, but I've actually found um, it's quite challenging trying to, again, trying to change the world mm. um, and, carve and, the and do a lot. Yeah. Mm. Carve, mm. Off, carve off that space because point eight can be the initial decision and then suddenly it's one or mm. 1.2 mm. or the extra hours just continue on, right? Because the needs are kind of without end. And uh, it's it's really easy to, I think, when you see and connected to the passion to uh, maybe know what you should be doing versus 
sometimes that slippery slope that you slip into thinking, oh, I'll just do another hour mm. and then three hours have gone by. I was just thinking, uh, I was just reflecting on your comment around, and I love that, it's almost like a whakapoki, that, uh, that presence of well-being. So talking about your point eight and listening to you and, and what you're observing within the, within the holder health space, how do, how do you look after you amongst all of that? Hey, it's so that's also part, a good question. Yeah. <laughs> it's quite a challenging Sorry, part. Was... I said it's quite a challenging part, I, that one. Mm, um, I was thinking about that, actually, because that was one of my learnings from listening to your first series of your podcast, um, being really intentional about the things that bring peace and a state, you know, toe, um, in terms of well-being and so for me it's not only my whanau I'm, I'm fortunate to live in the middle of nowhere which is actually the centre of the universe out at Tokohanga so I live on a papakainga um, just above Takumi or Kotahi Tangamurai um, being there is just phenomenal in terms of it's that place where you lose yourself and find yourself again mm-hmm. so being surrounded um, by our whanau is huge for me I don't realise it until I go away, how much I miss them. Um, I'm fortunate also to have three horses. So <laughs> I was thinking about the things that the horses do in terms of, of my holder. It's that time that you just spend for horse people, um, hanging out with your animals. Um, Rochelle gets it. She's got a dog. Um, I've got two of those as well. And I love doing things like building electric fence tape paddocks because you're measuring out space and just concentrating on creating mm. spaces for horses to move in, you don't think about anything else that's work-related. Mm. Focus. So so other areas that you can just go and be very absorbed and focus in that space. Nice. Exactly. And that's switching off from technology. I learned really early on um, in my career that, you know, you turn the notifications off and disable the the emails and all of that kind of stuff and set the timers and the parameters because you do. What happens is you end up being, you know, in work mode 24-7 and that's not good for anyone. Mm. So um, when I find myself slipping into habits where I'm working outside of times that I should be, I look about at those sorts of things. How much time am I spending with my partner? How much time am I spending with my horses? Am I doing, you know, I'll just get this that extra email in there at night. Um, all of those sorts of things are all measures in terms of uh, am I well and is my whanau well as well. Mm. You get that little thing on Outlook that gives you a sort of update of when you've spent time. Have you seen that? Mm. Yes. It, and it says, over the last month, you've spent X amount of percent of your time outside of office hours and uh, between this time and this time. And then it tells you how many people you've collaborated with, how many people you've connected with, how many emails you've sent. And then sometimes I look at that and I'm like, oh, that's why I'm quite tired. I can confess I actually ignore those. Ah, oh, do you? <laughs> Come on, it's there, it's there to make you stop. I just wanted to um, um, think on like, you know, from a Indigenous perspective, from a Te Ao Māori perspective, you know, that kind of return back to whenua, you mm. know, that that re- that sense of grounding that it gives you, you know, and, oh, I'm getting emotional, gosh. Um, you know, when, when you return to that place, 
that just mm. it's you know and um natalia mentioned it you know feeling toe mm. yeah mm. because it not only does it it fulfills our wairua it like you know it fills our tinana it just it just lifts it just lifts I don't know what it is. It's also why well, it's a place of resting. It's also a place of lifting. It's like mm. filling up your cup again so you can go back out and do the mm. mahi that you need to do. So I really admire. I'm not a horsey person, but I really admire <laughs> that you have that you have horses. I love that you uh, also build electric fences. <laughs> and see, so we said she was a, a man, a woman of many talents. Yeah, 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 yeah. Are you talking about? So I was just going to say the horse thing actually comes from my um, my parents, and I, I had no interest in horses, and they were like, "Oh, you need a hobby. Why don't you try horse riding?" And it's been that thing with me since I was nine. Um, and when, once horses get into your blood and that connection with animals, it's just first thing I did after university. I didn't buy a car, I bought a horse. Wow. <laughs> Wow. It's like another conversation, right? So yeah. you're, you're having a whole sort of like animal human conversation. It just I just stare in my dog's eyes <laughs> and he stares back at me. Just talking about what you're seeing out in the spaces and places that you move, um, talking around, you know, burnout and fatigue. Do you see that like as like a broad brushstroke or do you see that happening in certain parts and with certain kind of people of... You know, is is it a broad brushstroke that you're seeing, or is it a certain area? Um, I guess it's how deep you delve in the relationships you have and how observant you are, because sometimes people who um, that we care about or we support, um, those givers, they don't ever think about themselves. So, yeah, I just think in the state of rush, it's become more prevalent um, in our post-COVID world, even though we're not post-COVID. I really loved being at home with my whanau when we were king over COVID. It was just the state of we would do everything we would normally do, but together. So I think there's this massive impetus at the moment to speed things up to a post-pre-COVID level. Um, And so I see a lot of that in the space that I'm working at the moment but also in the health sector um, for colleagues who I worked quite closely with when I was in health um, as well. So I think it's everywhere, but also an expectation to get back to what we were before. But, you know, everyone talks about leveraging learnings in terms of COVID. So I'm really acutely aware of how we build and and take take on those things that we learned during COVID to ensure um, our practices and the way we work in our mahi um, is benefited from that. Because, you know, we shouldn't just do it in a pandemic. We should do it all the time, you know, take care of people and community and stuff like that. Eh? I think there's there's that real, uh, I mean, pressure because COVID highlighted even more need. Mm. And so mm. there's been a delay because of COVID. Uh, there's, there's more needs and now... It's almost like not only that we want to go back to the way that we were, but we need to go faster because mm. there's even more to do now and even more change is needed, right? I think this is why... Agreed. Yeah, I get, I get honestly, a, you know, her personal or I get a bit of hoha with that corridor because I think, man, what have we actually learned? Yeah. 
What have we actually learned? And then this rush to kind of make up for time and make up for things. And yet, here we are talking about well-being. So it's kind of this contradictory kind of facado that's going on in people's mind. I want to race as fast as I can, burn out while I'm doing it. But then actually, oh, and then there's well-being. So this is kind of something I spoke about in the last series was this frustration around well-being just being this kind of tack on, kind of nice to have, kind of sits over there and we'll mention it every now and then, you know. Whereas, you know, it's, it's about really being really genuine in this buzzword of intention around, so, you know, what what are we actually doing? And I think this is the pathway that we're putting to Natalia and Abba's. What are we what are we really doing for our well-being? Perhaps that's part of the question is, what have you learnt from those COVID years that we had? What did you learn and what have you, con- what have you continued to now, what have you brought into your practice now? Yeah. Mm, good part, Ty. Um, prioritising the things that really matter. Mm. You know, the consumerism and everything that got taken away, you know, that people complained about. Um you know, those things that maybe we had restricted access to that we were all sort of, oh, look, we can go back to shops or, or look, this blur in the um, supermarket, all those. I think it reinstalled my my existing priorities around whānau and our focus. Um, and again, I didn't ever feel like I was without mm. because of who we are and where we live and how fortunate we were to be taken care of because I had constantly people coming around for my whanau making sure we were all, all okay. Um, and that sense of community that came from it and how, how close we are, um, again, we're in a crisis situation. Going forward and in the mahi that I'm doing, um, thinking about well-being in the sense of you know, I'm a funder in a funding relationship. How do we make sure we support? Or I was talking yesterday um, in a final water context, we talk about wrapping support and, and thinking of things other than funding. The, 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 the groups that we're partnering with, they have access to those things that we might be privileged to have already and don't even think about. Um, so bringing frameworks and knowledge is knowledge that works well um, for community from other section, uh, sectors and, and bringing it across into that philanthropic space. I think that's critical. Um, and also um, listening more because, you know, we all listen to the updates from Ashley on the, on the TV every day like we all did. But, you know, that whole idea of we need to listen more to our community and what's going on around us. I think that's pivotal too for decision makers and funders um, post-COVID as well. You know, it's just stuff we, we should be doing anyway. Um, to, we keep talking to our communities and listening more than we're talking. And surely if we prioritise the haora, then there'll be less need, right? Oh, yeah, <laughs> Isn't yeah. that the kind of cycle? Like, actually, if we prioritise that, then there would be less need to be managed. Yeah, and I, I, I really and feel it. like... COVID was a reminder to fuck it all, to like really fuck it all, like mm. to listen to papatu anuku, to really, because the observations of many was that there were things that happened across the tile, across the environment, you know, in the moana, um, that people hadn't seen 
for years and years and years. Mm-hmm. So there was all this beauty that came back. And somehow we're like, oh, yep, okay, well, we saw the beauty. We're done now. Um, and we're just going to keep moving forward. So that was really <laughs> lovely to hear about the practices that, and that sense of community. I mean, mm. you would have seen that, Rochelle, so much. You know? Yeah, there was just uh, so many amazing examples. The one that I really liked was down in Bluff. So they um, they just pulled together a list of people who needed help. And they came up in the end with a database of about 800 people. So they just reached out with people that they knew. They reached out to marais. They reached out to, you know, older people, disabled people, like people that they they thought or they knew about or someone would say, oh, my neighbour or whatever. They ended up forming this huge, um, huge database. And then they went to each of those people and they, were, they had a little sign, so they had a thing like, if you need help, put this on your letterbox and then we'll come and, and help you. You know, and write on there, I need food, I need wood for my fire, mm-hmm. I need my medicine picked up or mm-hmm. whatever it might mm-hmm. be. And then um, someone would drive around their little suburb and then pick the needs and then they would deliver back. And I just love that. And they said, so now we're all set for next time, for the next thing that happens doesn't have to be COVID, it could be anything, that um, now we know where the needs are and who are the people that have needs. And at the same time, they brought together a whole lot of people who could help meet those needs. Um, and, and it was really diverse. And I just really loved that because that was a community place-based solution. They found their own solution. They didn't need money. They just reached out to wherever the need was and pulled together whatever it is that they need and they just coordinated those two groups and that was community doing community, right? So I I particularly loved that story because I think that was rooted in their recognition of, hey, there's a whole lot of people that we don't know but we know are here but have been invisible to us and then now no longer are they invisible. So now, now, now we know who they are and we can help going forward, not just in an emergency, helping provide for those people. I think in, uh, so I live in Kirikiriroa, and um, what was amazing was, um, in the Waikato, was Tainui's efforts to ensure their people were fed and (laughs) warm and sheltered during that time. Did you see that, Natalia? No. And I was going to say that was the part when I was saying about constantly you know, making sure we had everything and packs and internet and all of the things that, you know, you'd hope every day that, you know, we'd all have access to. Um, the mahi that I was really proud of that I um, got to support when I first started um, in the philanthropic space was Māori-led responses to covid um, nationally um we had a group and it's a little bit unseen because i've got to go away and write up the findings at some point when i get a chance we had 14 funders from across the mall to come and specifically fund and support Māori lead responses to COVID. and i guess for philanthropy traditionally not an area it works in in terms of health um but, you know, when we have this corridor about social determinants of health and holder and well-being, actually it's something that philanthropy contributes to all the time. Um, but the, the great thing from or the great learnings from the exercise of us collectively working katoa 
um, was we were able to respond rapidly to the needs of Kaupapa Māori um, providers in that um, house space, uh, fund and support gaps that were maybe not being met by government funding mm. and without all the red tape that often comes um, through procurement processes uh, with government as well. So we did roughly, I think it was about 650000 in three months. And uh, working on some mahi mahi um, going forward as well, that builds on the learnings that we collectively made through that um, effort. Um, now, and, and again, what did we learn? How can we put that into practice through wānanga and initiatives around kaimahi oranga as well? taking care of our workforce and those who've taken care of us yes. I think that's pivotal mahi going for for everyone um, especially in that community space as well a couple of things you said there it's and this is what I love about you know working alongside I feel like a kōtiro actually when I sit you know next to Michelle and and others like yourself who work in this non-for-profit charity space because I just feel like so much of your mahi goes unseen or you know, unfelt, you know. Um, and I, you also made another comment in there about, you know, giving, we're taking care of people all the time. And so this is why we're having these conversations is because people in the sector are always giving, just give, 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 give constantly. It's And it's such a... I, st I really feel like we, I stand in the light of your guys' incredible work that you do. So, I but no one takes the moment to actually mahi to that. So let's take a moment to mahi to the incredible work of not only you two amazing wahine, but all of those in this space and this sector who are ultimately supporting our communities but often go unseen. Mm -hmm. And I think that what it's raised for me is and a question for you, Natalia, is how do you get seen or, and it's not about look at me, look at me, it's not that, but how do we elevate the unseen to the seen? Yeah. Mm, that's a good question because I think when we're so busy doing the mahi, we don't have time to write about it, talk about it like this. Um, and I think I spent a lot of my mahi career um elevating the voices of the leadership that I've advised or um, negotiators I've supported through tribunal processes. And so um, a lot of it's always been about needing more the mahi there. It was funny, recently I was fortunate to be at the, the lunch um, that um, Huye organised with Foundation North and other funders, I'm volunteering in New Zealand. And got to sit next to Vu at lunch and I was saying to him, we're doing all of these things. I've got rid of applications. I'm trying to get rid of all the barriers that our community has said aren't working for them or in creating extra work. And he said to me, go write about it. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, I need to write about it and talk about it more because actually the good stuff is getting unseen and sometimes we have to show people ways to do the things that we're doing or highlight what success looks like for um, our communities as well and good practice examples. And I know the theory of that, but sometimes application is wanting. Mm. 
I think it's these prioritizations of what we do. Mm-hmm. So telling our stories, telling the stories of change about not just that we need change, but examples of people who are enacting the change. And Natalia, mm-hmm. you're a great mm-hmm. example of that. And even when you talk about funders, you know, um, providing other support, like money is one thing, but it's about the other support and the connections and the network and the whakawhanaunatanga. All of that stuff is the additional stuff that often small charity groups don't have access to. And uh, that's what I really love um, working alongside you because you just have a much bigger view. And yes, please write and talk (laughs) so that it will inspire other funders to also make our lives easier. And it... Sorry, and in that talk, wouldn't it be great for Natalia to say, and this is actually how I look after my whole order yes. while we're at it. <laughs> and by the way. Yeah, by the way. <laughs> yeah. No, it's so true. And the thing is, um, I'm really good about talking about the communities we serve. So I think a lot about service as we do. Um, and I'm good at telling other people's stories, but sometimes it's my own that I struggle the most with because it's always been about our whānau, our community. Yeah. So when you ask them, like, what's your view on this or have you got some thought leadership in that, <laughs> you know, those sort of things, like, not freak me out, but I'm like, actually, no, it's not until we make time to do those sorts of things that you go, actually, that's important. Someone might learn and that might create some change that I was wanting by pushing in a different direction. Mm. Mm. And I was just um, thinking, too, that, you know, I was talking to Rochelle this morning coming in and I'm well aware of all these kind of wellbeing awards that happen, you know, because I work in the the corporate space as well. And I was like, Mm -hmm. you know, Rochelle, it's time to disrupt. It's time for a non-for-profit or charity to actually enter those awards and talk about the whole order initiatives that they're doing for people. Because on a constant, not only are you guys supporting your own order, like Natalia you know, you talked about your horses and building electric fences, but you're also supporting the well-being of so many others by the amazing contributions that you're making to Hapuri, you know, which has this amazing reach. So I'm all up for disruption. And, <laughs> Me too. Uh, Me yeah, too. Yeah, 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 yeah. Natalia is this one. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> no, definitely. I think it, it's good. Again, it's that shining a spotlight on excellence and best practice. You know, I was having a conversation yesterday, um, fortunate to be around philanthropy in New Zealand. And, you know, for the space, what does best practice look like? Um, you know, as we define what it looks like philanthropy in Aotearoa, New Zealand, um, what does that look like? Um, I think we're past that point of relying so heavily on what's going on overseas and actually the solutions sit within our communities. And we know the answers. And you just need to go and talk to our people um, collectively. Um, and it's just a beautiful thing too, you know, and all these co-words, co-design, co-governance, co I'm like, yeah, that's great. It just starts with the conversation though and listening to those who've been doing the do for a long time. Mm. Yeah, it, there are a lot of co-words. <laughs> and, and it's it's funny, um, I was in a session on Tuesday I was co-facilitating and this lady said that Māori or Indigenous people, people of colour are very, like they don't need to use those words collaborate or community because they are. 
it's oh exactly oh, so yeah. true and for collaboration too because this is the co-popper of we natalia as we kind of draw to a close what's um one thing that you could do for your haora one thing i'd like to change about my haora um being deliberate about creating time for me to be and just think by myself rather than trying to buy into the speed of how we're trying to do things in this you know, current reality. Um, I think a lot, but, I, you know, making that time within my mahi as well before I go off and, and do things, I think that's really, really important. Um, but I find, you know, taking care of my whānau and my whānau takes care of me. Um, you know, I go home and tell them what I'm up to and they laugh at me. You know, we, levity and humour is a big part of our Māori culture and having our whānau laugh at us sometimes is good because they make sense of actually in here and now and in 10 years, is that really that important? Mm. Um, so those connections I think are really important and keep you grounded and, and reset, you know, when you need to reset too. I think that the idea of claiming your own time Mm. because, Mm. uh, you know, that Western concept of time that we all Mm -hmm. live Mm -hmm. around Mm -hmm. of like, you got to do it, got to do it, got to do it now and you've got to respond and you've got to do this. It's just such a Western concept. It doesn't serve any of us well at all. And there's so many different cultural nuances of time, te ao Māori, Pacifica cultures, other ethnic cultures, and um, and the world will kind of tune you up in its little washing machine, right, and spit you out unless you say, actually, this is my boundary and I'm going to work on my time. You know, sometimes you have to respond to deadlines, but ultimately I think one of the keys from Haora is forming your own time, right? what yes. suits you and yes. your well-being and your day and your week and your whānau and your other commitments, what suits you to do something at a particular time versus all this external pressure that gets put on us that we have to actually put back. And for me, I think through um, COVID, that's the time, that's the thing that I really learned was about time, like getting off someone else's time mm. frame and like, hey, actually that doesn't work for me. And, you know, and speaking up and negotiating, saying that doesn't work for me because actually I've built in this time to relax now and I won't be back on board till this time. I got asked a really good party yesterday. Be good to ask you the same party as we, as we close out, but when was the last time you were held? Mm. So not through physical touch, but when you were held. Are we talking in the metaphoric sense, are we? Yeah, we're talking about, <laughs> if we're talking about nurturing ourselves and making time, mm. when mm. was the last time you were held? It would have been yesterday. The day before last, so before I came to do some mahi over the North Shore. So, um, yeah, it's, but again, it's that being intentional about that because that's the thing that helps refuel and fill our cups and all of that for part of as well. As, and so, who, yeah. who holds the space for you to enable you to take time out as mm. well? Yeah, because it's all mm. around being, yeah. Because yeah. we're so busy you. holding everyone else. Yeah. How are we holding? How do we hold ourselves as mm. well? It's a very interesting, mm. full of deep, deep philosophical yes. deep question. <laughs> <laughs> now we're going to like contemplate that now the rest of the rest of the day. <laughs> Natalia, thank you for um, 
what's been such an easy conversation and a beautiful flow to it. And thank you for sharing your amazing Pumanawa uh, and this time and space with us. Um, it's um, been lovely to meet you. And I'm sure if we were to do some more whakawhanaungatanga, we'd probably have some connections here and there. So, um, But lovely to meet you. And I look forward to meeting our kamahi someday. Natalia, thank you for your time. Kia ora. Yeah, kia ora, Natalia. Thanks for joining us. I'll be um, hoping that uh, these next few days you might be out with your horses, uh, <laughs> just connecting uh, off the devices <laughs> and just rebuilding and refilling yourself. I think that's my wish for you today as we're closing. Kia ora. Mm. Thank you. Kia ora. You've been listening to a Tato Tato podcast with Tuihana and Rochelle. Proudly brought to you by Huie Community Aotearoa, Volunteering New Zealand, Centre for Social Impact and Wu Wellbeing. Tēnā koutou, tēnā rātātou katoa.